Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Empire. Esports and iGaming are growing quickly. Now, we're told aren't on U.S. sportsbooks that they're not part of the, the fabric or in, in the approval. So putting an esports product after there's a basketball game, we see on the numbers it spikes right up. That's Michelle Fisher, Vice President of Content Services with SIS, where in-house pro gaming opportunities are emerging. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The American market for esports gaming and gambling is far behind Europe, but it has not stopped offerings from sprouting up as the landscape in and around wagering changes. Our guest this week is Michelle Fisher. She's the Vice President of Content Services with SIS, Sports Information Services in the United States. She's trying to help grow the gambling market, which you may think doesn't need a tremendous amount of help, but you'd be surprised on some of the areas that are booming in Europe, but have not quite taken off here. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hi, I'm great. I'm here in Louisville, Kentucky. As I told you off air, one of my favorite places in the world for a week. It, in fact, might be my favorite place in the world for one specific week. Must be the first Saturday in May. <laughs> is the week first before. Saturday in May. Uh, you have to tell everybody before we get into why you're here, because you just told me something I didn't know, and you might as well share this with your listeners. Louisville, Kentucky, obviously known for biggest horse race in the world, and also disco balls, and I didn't, re- I didn't realize that... You know, I knew about the bourbon. I knew about the horses. I didn't realize about the disco balls in Louisville, Kentucky. It is a little known fact that in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here in the Highlands, just not far from me, is the largest U.S. manufacturer of handmade disco balls. (laughs) And on the street that I live in, in the Highlands, they bring in on a crane a huge disco ball for a derby party. And so we celebrate bourbon, horses, and disco balls on my street that week. Like I said, favorite place in the world for one week. (laughs) The other other 51 weeks, not a disco party, right? I would assume. Very cool. All right, let's get into why you are here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about SIS. What do you all do? SIS is a 35-year-old company that was founded to distribute horse racing to bookmakers. And in the beginning, it was into the UK market. So founded 35 years ago, sending UK horse racing into UK and Irish bookmaking shops. You know, in the very beginning, they were only allowed by law to have one stream of video. And SIS is producing it as well as odds and data coming in one format. Since those beginnings, SIS has expanded into a much larger company. Uh, Horse racing is still our core, 
and we now distribute over 200 racetrack content to about 400 bookmakers or operators in about 50 countries. So that business has greatly um, grown. And to add to horse racing, you know, we're all about short form betting content. So what can what can we bet on 24-7? A lot of content. We also do greyhound racing, numbers, and esports. And esports was within the last couple of years we've we've launched that. So we we provide bookmakers, sports books with 24-7 content. And that's really important because we all know that, you know, football, basketball, baseball, that's only once a week or twice a week. It's not 24-7 content. So we're really important to, to keeping keeping something alive um, for betters to, to bet on. It's okay. good content. Um, let's talk a little bit about esports. Um, where is that in Europe in terms of interest in betting on it? And where is that in the United States right now? Well, esports is interesting, you know, given the fact that we're working with the one, probably one of the most traditional industries, which is horse racing and esports, which is probably one of the youngest industries out there for betting. It, it, it's an interesting economy to look at it. But esports was produced very differently than we know it. Um, you know, esports is extremely popular. As we know, we hear about in, in every country how many people are gaming the popularity, but it hasn't been a big betting product. Everyone's tried it. We know it's the future. Um, so what SIS set out to do, and it did get launched in, in the European market, was to create, just like our horse racing, a short-form product for eSports for betting. And unlike the tournaments that we're used to seeing, make all the headlines with the key players. Ours is completely different. So about 20 months ago, we set it up where SIS has players that, that, that are employed by SIS. They're gamers, and they play within our studios, either in Milton Keynes or in Manchester. Huh. And in these studios that are very secure, they play um, NBA 2K, five-minute quarters, FIFA, and CSGO Wingman. And our key difference is that it's made for betting. So SIS con controls everything around the environment. It's very secure. We have ESIC um, referees. We have casters. And we control the statistics so that we're putting matchups together that are compelling. Um, there's never more than a 10-point spread on them. And we launched this product. We can get more into depth here in a little bit, but we launched this product into the European market. It was at a good time. It was right right at the pandemic. We have seen growth uh, with it. We've also seen it now go into some betting shops, which is almost a surprise to us too. We 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 when we launched this, it was going to be an online product. The U.S. market is um, a new market for us, and I I head that for SIS, and in. December, we launched our product on Bet365, our basketball product on Bet365 in New Jersey, and we've launched it in Colorado. Okay. Tell me about integrity of the matches. How do you guys think through that as you're setting this up and then offering it as an option to be bet on? 
one of the challenges for esports is integrity. And and some of the challenges for betting on it is the fir- first and foremost is how the matches are set up. You know, is it a secure location? Um, are your statistics good statistics? How and latency of your signal? You know, most esports um, events are on Twitch, they're on YouTube, and they have about a 15 second latency. Now, for our integrity side of things, we use a system called Phoenix, and so we have a sub second latency. So that means we can do in game betting. Um, on the integrity is having all of our referees, which you can see on screen, are trained um, ESIC referees. Um, we actually received the ESIC gold designation recently, which we're pretty proud of. We're, we're the first group to have that. And from an integrity standpoint, they like us because we know that when a player comes into play, they put their phone away. They, they don't have it. They don't know who they're going to play. Huh. Um, and... And we watch they play the whole game through. You know, these are quick matches, but, you know, with any sport, you know, when you think you're losing, you just stop playing. We don't allow that because our players, they're rewarded for winning. They get they get um, bonuses for winning. And they also can get demoted within our system if they're not playing well. Then we have three levels of play and, and we watch that. So it's, it's having the security around it that there's not, you know, they're not underage. We know everyone's 18 years old. We've hired them. They've had background checks, the same as I had to join the company. And and then it's a secure environment, and it, it's very, very clear regulations that we, we work under. Okay. Let's talk about um, the future of gambling and gaming in the United States for a moment. Um, things are very, very different, obviously, than they were a few years ago. Many, many jurisdictions have changed their laws since the Supreme Court overturned PASPA. Um, where is... As, as you would describe it, the maturity level of the marketplace at this point, and where do you see it going over the next few years? I would say we are still in a very immature market. You know, PASPA was repealed in 2018. The operators have been focusing on each new state, getting licensed, getting launched, getting players. And we're seeing that expansion. We're in about with 33, 34 states at the moment, another four or five coming on this year. So it's been a land grab. And I think once we, we get a little bit more mature with the number of states, then the operators are going to start looking more at inward at the content. Now, everyone's been concerned about how do I get the NFL up? How do I get the NBA up? Do we have all the major sports in the U.S. up? But they're not looking at what I'm talking about, the 24-7 content. Yeah. So I think we'll see as, as we get more states approved, and we get some settled down, we're going to see some mergers and acquisitions. And we're also going to see a turn to content as well as player acquisition. Okay. And then in terms of growing interest for esports opportunity that you're talking about, how do you view marketing that to the public as it is a new idea, at least in this country, outside of we know what betting on basketball, football, baseball, hockey, whatever that may be. This is a new idea. So how do you think about marketing that out to the public? Well, the first thing we could say, what we do at SIS, we will never be accused of being a pure esports entity because we're not. We created our products for betting. So we took a different approach than a lot of entities out there marketing esports. We started with both basketball and soccer or football. And 
Where that's been successful in making the transition from a live sport to an e-sport has been, we'll take Bet365, for instance, they put our esports product for basketball under the basketball tab as well as the esports tab on, on the app. The same thing with soccer. We have a lot of other operators that do that. And what we see introducing that particular product is this is this is really appealing to the traditional sports better, not necessarily the esports that we're going to talk about here in a minute. And by doing that, it's very much like the virtuals. Now virtuals aren't on U.S. sports books, that they're not part of the, the fabric or in, in the approval. So putting an esports product after there's a basketball game, we see on the numbers it spikes right up that someone goes to the basketball tab, there's no basketball available, but hey, what is this e-basketball? E- e- and they can see the two players on the screen, they can see the referee wearing black and white, they know the game, and we're seeing them betting on it. So many of your traditional esports followers are going to say, well, that's, that's not esports. Well, it is esports, but it's it's making that transition, the transition from a traditional sports better into the esports space. Um, we we have launched a CSGO wingman, and, and that's a two-on-two, and that's our first foray into traditional esports, yeah. and we think that is going to attract um, more of an esports audience than necessarily a traditional better, and we're 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 gradually moving those traditional betters over over to the CSGO. Okay, now that's our goal. This episode is brought to you by Chalk and Dog, which brings together the vast experience and expertise of two of the brightest agencies in media, sports, wagering, and gaming. With deep roots in the UK and the US, the agency offers expert guidance in everything from market entry to market expansion for startups as well as established global brands powered by best-in-class communication and creative experts. Chalk and Dog has vast international experience and delivers results-oriented, tailor-made solutions for B2B and B2C organizations. Um, Let me talk about the traditional stuff just for one more moment. Um, Do you foresee there are plenty of teams that have esports teams underneath their umbrellas? Do you foresee a day where there is a literal partnership, where there is esports betting of traditional type sports that are literally linked to uh, professional basketball teams, professional soccer teams, professional football teams? I think that's eventually where the market will go. We're not seeing that initially because that's not why those those leagues were set up. They are an arm of every every pro team national league has an esports division. And the market isn't there at the moment for us to see it, but I think it will come over time. But I think the most important part of making that viable is being able to have the things we've already spoken about is a controlled environment that we know the integrity is there. We, you know, someone looking over all the equipment, yep. looking over that it's competitive. And, you know, our product will still have a market there because those games aren't happening 24-7. And what we do here at SIS is we create, right now we have 180,000 games that you can play in a year. And so I think the fabric will be, there will be different levels of esports. And whether, I want to call us a filler product, because a lot of our players go on and can play in leagues and can play other places, but it's just different levels. I call us the minor league. You know, we're the minor (laughs) league of those kind of esports, and and those guys will be the major league of esports. And I think they will work together, but 
it, it, it has to be set up in a way that sports books can, can make money on it. And it's just not there at the moment. Yep. Okay. Let's talk about the other traditional esports stuff. Then how are you, you kind of touched on it a little bit that you're starting to kind of transition traditional betters who understand traditional sports wagering, but now we're talking about games that are of a different interest level. So what are you, how are you seeing and growing? What is traditional esports that's not NBA 2K or Madden or those type of games? Well, that's our RCS Go Wingman product. And we are slowly introducing that as well to, to the bookmakers and the sports books. We are not live with CSGO yet in the U.S. We are close, but not, not, not live with it. But, you know, it depends on the sports book and what their audience makeup looks like. You know, there are some sports books that trend younger and some that trend older. I think on the younger side, we will see that. There's, there's a lot of, um, I think, overlap in people that like to bet, uh, young people that like to bet. And I think that just the sheer reason it's there when there's nothing else there, we, we will get some players to come over and, and learn about it. Okay. Uh, last thing. Uh, we started with horse racing. Let's let's end with horse racing. There's two things I just want to talk to you about. One, fixed odds. It's actually starting to happen in the in the United States in certain places. Uh, New Jersey. Um, I obviously am revealing myself as a big horse racing fan here by knowing this. Um, what do you think the future is of fixed odds in the United States? Wow, that is a, a very good question because you can ask ten people and get ten different answers. Yes, we've seen horse racing put their toe into fixed odds for horse racing. The difference between horse racing and esports, um, horse racing is a very old, um, integrated, almost a monopoly on paramutual wagering in the U.S. It was the only form of online gaming before sports betting was legalized. So there's some reluctance to move over to fixed odds by some of the stakeholders. They're worried about cannibalization. And when you look at it from the big standpoint is now that sports betting is legal in the United States, everyone is on, and I say everyone, <laughs> that's a big exaggeration, but everyone is on, on a sports app. And if horse racing is missing from that sports app, we're losing players. Yeah. We're losing people who will never be introduced to horse racing. The challenge for horse racing is how do we make sure that a percentage of betting on horse racing on fixed odds goes back to the racetracks here in the U.S. Because unlike all the other sports that exist right now, horse racing has traditionally been funded by by wagering, by wagering on horse racing. Um, that's changed over the years with racinos because now you look at America and, and the purses for which horses run for literally come from VLTs. They come from from HHR, which is Historic Horse Racing Machines, uh, subsidies, and as well as the paramutual. So I think horse racing needs to take a How are you going to stay relevant in a very competitive sports market? How do you reach these betters? And while we're seeing efforts be made to bolt on paramutual wagering onto a sports book, I think that's a great first step. But if I'm someone who may be new to sports betting and I know that I'm going to get a certain payout on a football game, a basketball game, but then I turn to horse racing and I don't know what I'm going to get right. until the last minute. 
it, it turns people off. Yeah. And we've seen it in many other countries. You, you want to have it as fixed odds. It's just going to be a slow process because, you know, it's a question of do we, how do we put it on the catalog? How do we get the finances right to support horse racing in the U.S.? And what we've seen so far have been a couple different models that are still not quite there. You know, New, New Jersey received a lot of fanfare when it launched, but there's some flaws in the way it was set up. And, and those flaws are this. It doesn't fall under the, the Racing Commission, and it doesn't fall under the DGE or the Sports Commission. It sits in the middle, and it's not taxed. And why would you want to regulate something where the state doesn't make any money on it? Uh-huh. That's, that's your, your first point. Your second point is, I believe that if you're going to do fixed odds in the U.S., the first step is putting on a sports book. And it needs to be another approved um, sport on a catalog, not necessarily launching it at a racetrack you know, down the line. That might be fine. But if you're a horse player and you go to the racetrack, you're going to say, oh, great. Now I have two ways to bet on horse racing. But the point of this is, is to expand the marketplace for horse racing. And that doesn't do it. It needs to be where the money is being spent, where the fans are, the account holders. You know, you look at how much advertising is being done for sports platforms. And the retention for the players, that's where it needs to be, be if it's going to expand the popularity of the sport and, and expand more betting. It's about, to me, growing the pie, not necessarily um, dividing the pie that's there. So when you say New Jersey, I wouldn't say is the best model to start with because it was only launched at the racetrack. And it was limited to who could have it and, and how it was done. I don't, it's not getting to the better. We've got legislation in Colorado, which is better than what we see in New Jersey. I don't think it's the be-all, end-all, but it was much better. And that legislation that was passed, it was rules, it wasn't legislation, let me be clear on that, was that for a sports book to offer horse racing, they had to have the consent of the not just the track that's putting on the show, the host track, but also the local track in Colorado, Arapahoe Park, and their horsemen. And when you have that consent, then you can sell it to a sports book. So basically a company like ours has to do a business deal with the local shareholders, stakeholders, in order to then sell. And we're in the process of looking at that. Um, that's, a, that's a win for both. Um, horse racing is different than other sports. We have some federal legislation called the Interstate Horse Racing Act in 1978, and that requires that there's consent by the track, the recognized horsemen's group, and the racing commission before you can take a bet on horse racing. So there's a lot of hurdles there, but the way we're looking at it in Colorado is once a deal is made with the local racetrack and the local horsemen, then content providers like ourselves are able to sell into the sports book. It's not going to it, it, it's going to grow over time. This isn't something that's just going to hit and be the greatest thing. It's going to take time because as we talked about earlier in the show, sports, the sports books have a lot going on here in the U.S. They're expanding into new states. They're trying to retain and compete for players. They're going to be looking then at the content, and we're fighting for the integration for any of these products that get put on. Now, if I'm a sports book and I say, well, I've got horse racing, I've got esports, I've got ping pong, 
which one are you going to integrate and do the work for first? Which one that makes you the most money or has the most popularity? So horse racing, I think, is coming. It has to come over the years, but I don't think it's going to be something that happens overnight. But we, we need to get one one sports book running with fixed odds to, to see the domino effect happen. Michelle Fisher is the Vice President of Content Services at SIS. Thank you so much for joining us. On the next Future Sport Podcast, ever lost something at an event and thought you'd never get it back? There's an app for that. So now on your website, it says lost something? Submit claim here via Boomerang. And I'm going to get excited that I don't have to call a phone number or I don't have to email a black hole. And I'm going to say, oh, cool. All right, what's Boomerang? Let me click this thing. Bumps you out to Boomerang's website. And it says, tell us what you lost. I say, first name, Skyler, last name, Logston, email address. I lost my Apple Watch on Sunday. Commander's logo, yellow band, submit. That's Skylar Logsdon, CEO and co-founder of Boomerang, who is helping solve the quagmire of lost and found at major events. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.